Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Tuesday, July 12th. Coming up, we'll talk to a local doctor about how you should protect yourself from COVID-19 at this stage in the pandemic. I think people are getting comfortable with the idea that we're going to have to continuously assess our risk, make personal decisions, make family decisions. But first, some headlines. Missouri Democrats want lawmakers to return to Jefferson City to address abortion and contraception. St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum reports. House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid was one of two Democratic lawmakers calling on Governor Mike Parson for a special session in response to the state's recent abortion ban. The Springfield Democrat wants to pass a bill stating clearly that contraception is legal in the state. She also wants to make sure the abortion ban doesn't cover ectopic pregnancies, which is when a fetus develops outside the uterus. People are scared and people want to know how Missouri's laws are going to work and whether or not they're safe to to do the basics like taking birth control. Missouri banned most abortions except for medical emergencies after the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade. The Missouri State Highway Patrol and Kansas City Police Department are investigating Sunday night's shooting at the Westport Ale House, which left one person dead and five injured. Jennifer Pryor, a barista at the Broadway Cafe down the street, said she was frustrated by the continued gun violence in Westport. I think that there's no reason that places like this should be plagued with this kind of violence. I feel like maybe my anxiety kind of makes it hard for me to think about it on a day like today when we're when we're so close to that having just happened. Three off-duty police officers working security at the venue fired their weapons during the incident. Kansas City's new program providing free attorneys to tenants in eviction court has helped nearly 150 residents in just one month. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal has more. Kansas City launched its Right to Counsel program at the start of June, with 12 attorneys representing tenants who end up in eviction court. The attorneys are with the Heartland Center for Jobs and Freedom, Legal Aid of Western Missouri, and UMKC. Nationwide, 90% of landlords have legal representation compared to just 1% of tenants. The Missouri Independent reports that the Jackson County Circuit Court now has an agreement with Kansas City to provide it with the names of people when they receive an eviction filing. A former prison employee faces no punishment for alleged sexual assault after Kansas Supreme Court justices decided not to take up his case. Blaze Mesa of the Kansas News Service reports. Thomas Coe was charged with six counts of sexual harassment but convicted on one of them. He worked at a dental lab in the Topeka Correctional Facility, a women's prison. Prosecutors accused him of groping women and making inappropriate sexual comments. An appeals court later overturned his conviction. The Supreme Court justices declining to take the case means that the lower court decision will stand and his conviction is thrown out. Coe denies the allegations. The appeals court said that Coe had touched the women inappropriately, but the act did not meet the legal definition of unwanted sexual relations. He had been sentenced to two and a half years in prison.
The Omicron BA5 variant is causing COVID-19 infections to rise across the nation and in our area. They're at the highest levels since the earlier Omicron wave last fall and winter. Dr. Marianne Jackson is dean of the University of Missouri-Kansas City Medical School. She's also an expert on pediatric infectious diseases. She told me while hospitalizations are rising in the area, most of them are not in the ICU, which means infections aren't as serious as they were in previous waves. Here's our conversation, edited for length, about how you should still be taking precautions against the virus. So Missouri only reports COVID case counts weekly now, and it stopped contact tracing. And a lot of testing now is done at home, where people don't report those results. So there isn't as much data available about COVID infections in our area as there was at the beginning of the pandemic. I'm wondering, what does that mean for our knowledge of how bad the pandemic could be right now? Well, what we can say is that the case numbers which are up is clearly an underestimate, and that's important. But we can also say that given the fact that this is an underestimate in the number of cases, that it's not converted to a large increase in serious cases that are requiring hospitalization or causing deaths. So it appears that what we do know about this BA.5 variant is it is very contagious. It may evade vaccine immunity, and in individuals who have been infected in the past, they may get reinfected. So there are all kinds of ways that this variant is playing a role uh, related to the COVID pandemic at this point. And it underscores the importance, though, of the fact that it appears likely that vaccine is holding up and preventing the most serious consequences of these cases, including hospitalizations in intensive care units and deaths. It also underscores the fact that we still have underutilization of vaccine. We've not seen that the vaccine has been as highly utilized in the child population as it can be. And this increase in cases that I mentioned does include our child population. And so we've seen an increase in the number of cases in children, and we've seen the increase in the number of children who've been admitted to the hospital. So how should people protect themselves from COVID right now? Well, across the country related to this BA.5 surge, we have seen on either coast in the California region and, and New York recommendation to go back to uh, masking uh, indoors. So I, I think potentially people should be wise in how they're using masking at this point in the pandemic, making wise decisions about who they're gathering with understanding that they may be exposed and ultimately uh, infected and taking advantage of vaccine. Given that most people in our area are not wearing masks indoors right now, I'm wondering what is the usefulness of anybody individually choosing to wear a mask if nobody else around them is wearing one? So it's a good question. Wearing a mask and being in the presence of somebody with a mask is best. Uh, to avoid an exposure. But wearing a mask does indeed protect yourself and it has significant protection for you. Certainly if you are an individual who is at increased risk for serious complications of COVID, you should be thinking about wearing a mask at this point and thinking about who you're gathering with. 
For those who are at normal risk uh, for COVID, I think there's a couple things that really need to be kept top of mind. One is that for individuals who are exposed and become infected, you may not get serious disease, but it is really difficult uh, that period of time where you have to be isolated, where you worry about other people in your family becoming infected. And the newest data suggest that for individuals who do develop COVID, the risk of long COVID is about 20%. It's slightly less in those who've been vaccinated compared to those who are unvaccinated. But there are all kinds of ramifications for the future that are, are very unclear. How long does long COVID last? What are the implications for the future? I think there are all kinds of reasons why taking advantage of vaccine and by wisely using masking while you're indoors and particularly with individuals who you may not know their vaccine status or their risk status is the wise way to approach this. So it's been months since the last booster was authorized for most adults. If you got a booster months ago, I'm wondering how effective is it now and how effective was the two-dose vaccine if you didn't get a booster? It's a great question. Well, we know that vaccine immunity wanes with this and wanes means that the antibody titers you have that protect you go down over time. Five to six months from the last vaccine is when we know that these titers are decreasing to the point that you may become susceptible again. The good thing is that we know that with exposures for vaccinated individuals, even as vaccine wanes, it appears likely that you're going to get a boost in antibody titers from any exposures that you have. And certainly, you know, you'll have a hybrid immunity, meaning vaccine plus natural immunity uh, if you get infected. Right now, there's not a recommendation beyond what we have for additional boosters. However, it does appear that as we get into September, September, October, there may be an additional Omicron booster that becomes available. And there may even be the possibility that we'll have a combined booster for COVID plus influenza vaccine that individuals may be able to take advantage of. So what should our goals be as a community if we want to keep fighting the pandemic? So I think our goals as a community during this time in the COVID pandemic is careful tracking, trending, analyzing data, and then sharing recommendations and communicating them clearly to the public. And so right now, as we're, we're looking at the impact of the Omicron variant that right now is circulating, everyone needs to know that we are seeing an increase in disease within our community, that this increase in disease is nowhere near what we've seen with the initial Omicron uh, or even with the, the Delta surge or even our initial experience uh, with this virus. But it is still causing disease within our community. It is still resulting in hospitalizations. And this is the point where I think people are getting comfortable with the idea that we're going to have to continuously assess our risk, um, make personal decisions, make family decisions. And one of the reasons that I feel uh, so strongly about 
a, a renewed promotion of vaccine messaging is that, you know, very soon we're going to be starting school back again. Our goal should be to keep all of our children in school. And we have the opportunity now to do a better job for this population by getting them vaccinated as we uh, move through this most recent variant. So earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that people should be assessing their own risk when they go out to do activities or socialize. Can you give an example of what kind of risk assessments people should be making? The risk assessment that people need to be making is uh, when and where they're going into the community, thinking about whether it's a population that they know well, that's been vaccinated and or recovered from infection, uh, whether or not they're in a public forum where they have no idea of who they're encountering and where mask wearing is going to be very uh, helpful to them. So that, for instance, would be uh, the supermarket. Uh, when they're going out into a public-private setting where people are gathering together, realizing that the chances that you're going to be exposed to COVID at this point is, is high. And uh, I think for individuals who are unmasked, and certainly for those unvaccinated, um, needing to consider vaccination, back to masking, uh, particularly in group settings, and making sure to monitor for uh, symptoms and signs of infection. One unique feature of BA5 uh, clinically that is just getting a little bit more um, exposure is that this particular variant may be associated with night sweat. So people need to be aware and thoughtful about what uh, their health issues are and if they are developing. Certainly fever still seems to be a very reliable fever, uh, sore throat, uh, cough, and then night sweats seem to be pretty reliable indicators of this virus. And testing in isolation is what we'd like people to do and, and to do it promptly. That was Dr. Marianne Jackson. She's the dean of the UMKC Medical School. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Trevor Grandin, Byron Love, and KCUR Studios, and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more local news from Kansas City's NPR station, find us online at kcur.org. Tomorrow, we'll hear how Kansas churches are approaching the fight over abortion rights in the state. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. Prior to 1928, if you wanted sliced bread, you had to slice it yourself. Until two entrepreneurs in Chillicothe, Missouri, changed history. The sale of sliced bread just grew exponentially, and, and the bakers were really knocking down his door, wanting it. The birth of sliced bread on the latest episode of the podcast, A People's History of Kansas City. Check it out.